Well, children, uh, in that normal place of the bulletin, you'll find the words that you're listening for tonight. Those words are hypocrisy and hypocrite. Of course, those are um, one and the same, very close to one another. Fear, uh, rest, hide, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. All right? Well, in his 2012 article entitled, What is a Hypocrisy? What is Hypocrisy? Kevin DeYoung wrote the following. He said this, Hypocrisy is not the gap between doing and feeling. It is the gap between public persona and, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, yes, public persona and private character. The hypocrite is not someone who struggles against sin or fights against temptation or keeps doing what is right even when he doesn't feel like it. He says, that's a hero. The hypocrite is the person who uses the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of private vice. The sin of hypocrisy is not that we are more messed up than we seem. That's true for all of us. He says the sin is in using the appearance of goodness to cloak the deeds of evil. The sin is in thinking that who others think you are matters a great deal more than whom God knows you to be. And the question is, what can we do to combat it? What what is it that we can do to push against that? If you were here last week, you know that I I shared a few things for us to consider uh, because all of us struggle with, at times, being more concerned um, about outward appearances than our own inward character. We all at times struggle or have the tendency to focus on minor issues at the expense of larger or more major issues. We all from time to time become preoccupied with our standing before other people than we do before the Lord. And we all at times, again, fall into the trap of loading other people down with our own personal list of musts that become burden-producing, and then as a result, we become stumbling blocks rather than stepping stones to Jesus. But this week, Christ Himself gives us His own list. And because the list is coming specifically from Him, this isn't a take-it-or-leave-it kind of list. It's not a list that we can simply choose those items that we like and reject those items that we don't. It's, it's not a list, well, it, it is a list that must be taken as a whole. Because if we don't, if we reject any one thing in this list, as we'll see, it's going to leave us open and susceptible to what is very dangerous very damaging, 
and detrimental to the cause of Christ. In these 12 verses, you'll find the outline in the normal place. In these 12 verses, Christ calls us, again, to six things. To beware of hypocrisy, to heed the warning, to maintain an appropriate fear, to rest in the Father, to acknowledge Christ, and to rely on the Spirit. And as always, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, by your Spirit, would you grant power to the preaching of your Word this evening? And would you give us all in this place ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you grant us the ability to appraise and apprehend the truth, and particularly this truth regarding hypocrisy and its danger? Awaken our attention and convict us and challenge us in these moments, and then, as we have already uh, prayed, please Uh, refresh us, uh, encourage us, and comfort us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I am, uh, as usual, weak and needy, uh, unfit for this task to which you've called me, so I ask for your support and strength. I ask you to fill me with your spirit that I might be a pure channel of your grace. Help me to communicate clearly and with fervency, um, fluently and with grace. For the sake of Christ and His church, I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, as you probably noticed from the language that we see in the very, at the very onset in verse 1 of here in chapter 12, um, word is spreading, right? Word is spreading of Christ and His, his mission of, of teaching, His ministry of presence, but it's also been spreading in regard to His encounters or his interactions with the Pharisees, and not only uh, what's been taking place in private and in public, but also the intensity of these interactions that are going on. You'll remember that intensity from last week. And thousands of people, literally thousands of people are beginning to show up, and they're pushing and they're shoving and they're beginning to trample one another in order to position themselves in such a way that they can best hear, best see and hear everything that Jesus is saying. They don't want to miss out of anything that's going on. And so if you'll remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And so what's going to happen from this point forward as these crowds are gathering, he's going to be speaking first and directly to the disciples, but then he's also going to be speaking to uh, those who are listening on on the outside, and they're going to be interjecting questions. And so he's uh, he's going to interact with those people individually, and then he's going to begin interacting with the crowd as a whole. And then, of course, he's also going to be interacting with the scribes and Pharisees as he has been, as they continue to provoke him. Okay, so all of that is kind of where we're moving on the way to Jerusalem. These are the different kinds of conversations, and we're going to notice as we go um, who he's addressing at particular times because it's important for us to understand that. And here in verse 1, uh, he begins this, all of this interaction by addressing the disciples in particular, and he says this very clearly, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of the religious establishment and the Pharisees themselves was rampant. And they were more than being this mask-wearing, they were being more than mask-wearing pretenders. They were mask-wearing pretenders that had a very evil intent. 
Right? They were up to no good. And we saw last week that through their externalism and through their legalism, the Pharisees and scribes had established and were enforcing these extra-biblical standards and man-made traditions. And, and those extra-biblical standards and man-made traditions were put in place in such a way that either, number one, they were easily um, fulfilled through minimal effort, or two, that if they weren't so easy, they had created loopholes for themselves in order to get out of being accountable to that which they were holding others accountable. And all of it was for the purpose of maintaining, uh, uh, establishing and maintaining very prestigious reputations and positions of power and, and basically to exercise control over other people. And their public persona, right, that which was on the outside, they were, they were squeaky clean. But on the inside, they were rotting corpses and they would leave a stench of death everywhere they went because their, their teaching was contaminating everyone that heard it. And to make matters worse, Jesus says here that this hypocrisy was working as leaven works in a lump of dough. We have many bread makers in here. And if you don't make it, you eat it. And so you understand this example. That the hypocrisy was working secretly below the surface, away from what the eye could see, and, and it would work its way in below that surface, and, and if left unchecked, it would, it would be pervasive throughout the entire lump. It would infect the whole lump, and it would transform everything that it came into contact with. It only took a little to affect a lot. It only took a few, Jesus is saying it only takes a few to affect the many. And brothers and sisters, spiritual hypocrisy remains as sinister today as it did back then. Nothing has changed. Externalists and legalists look and sound very godly, their behavior and their language looks very uh, devoutly religious. But make no mistake, their message will insidiously, I've chosen these words on purpose, insidiously infiltrate our hearts if we don't beware. And that's exactly what he told his disciples, beware. Pay close attention. Be on your toes. Remain aware because what they're doing is profoundly detrimental. And we see the extent of where it leads in verses 53 and 54, right, from last week. They had an axe to grind. They were literally hunting him down in order to destroy him. And their hostility was growing hour by hour by hour, and they were waiting for and planning perfect opportunities to do Him in. And for us today, it remains the same. 
And the most, and the most practical way for us to remain on, on guard is to saturate ourselves with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We must saturate ourselves because the gospel is the antidote to spiritual hypocrisy, right? Spiritual hypocrisy is hostile to Christ. It's anti-gospel. And so the antidote is the gospel itself. And so we must, we must understand and, and teach and preach the gospel to, our, uh, uh, to ourselves and to others. And the more we do that, the more that we, we hear the gospel being read and preached, the more we study, the more we come to understand the depth and the truth of the gospel, the more spiritual hypocrisy will be brought out into the open and the nature of it will be, be revealed. And of course, we will see how evil it really is. We must remain on guard and beware. But Jesus not only said they were and we are to beware of the hypocrisy, He also says that they and we should heed the warning. What warning? Well, look at verse 2. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what, what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Man has been trying to hide from their sin since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. And to no avail. No one has succeeded. And Jesus said, whatever we attempt to hide is going to be made known. Whatever we think we've done in the dark is going to be brought in the light. Whatever we've done in private is going to be made public. Whatever we've, whatever we've done quietly is going to be proclaimed from the rooftops for all to hear, whatever we've hidden in our heart, in that innermost part of who we are that no one can reach but ourselves, it's going to be brought out into the open. And we know from the rest of Scripture that if it doesn't happen in this life, as it often does, it will happen on the last day of judgment. It's going to happen on that last day. Contrary to what Satan told Adam and Eve, and contrary to what countless others believe today, there is such a thing as judgment. There will be such a thing as judgment. Ecclesiastes 12, in, in Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon tells us that God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Paul says in Romans 14 that all will stand before the judgment seat of God where He will judge our secrets. And Jesus even says later on, we would give an account or we will give an account for every careless word. And Jesus' point here is, is obvious. He says it's foolhardy for any of us to believe that anything can be hidden from an omniscient God. Therefore, the audacity of hypocrisy is not just found in its duplicity, but it's also found in its haughtiness, right? In the arrogance, in the pride of thinking that we can keep something from God. We can arrogantly believe that, that if, if we just hide it and we can try to cover up all these things, all we want, but, but really in the end, 
Our sin in thought, word, and deed, even when no one is looking, is going to be revealed. Listen to these words from Chad Van Dixhorn. He says, Judgment will be thorough. For those who are apart from Christ, this is a damning verdict. For God hates any and all sin. Indeed, the thought of our every dark reflection, careless word, and loveless action being replayed before God's throne should make any sane person tremble with a heightened awareness for the solemnity of judgment. And yet, he goes on to say, Christians must take courage in their special standing with Jesus Christ. God, as the believer's good Father, is delighted delighted with the righteous thoughts, words, and deeds of His children. Admittedly, he says, there are far too few, and even our best efforts are tarnished in so many ways. What is worse, God will not tolerate our sins. But thankfully, for those found in Christ, our unworthy efforts will be accepted in Christ along with our unworthy persons, and our evil deeds will be covered over by Christ's spotless righteousness. It is in this righteousness of Christ that we will stand. We will find no reason to be proud of ourselves before the judgment seat of God, but nor will we find reason to fear. Thanks be to God for what is ours in the Lord Jesus. But we must ask this question. We all in this room must ask this question. What secret sin, what secret sins are we hiding What are we trying to hide? And the second question is, and when are they going to be exposed? When are they going to be revealed? And we can live in fear of being discovered and dread the day when all will be brought out into the open, or we can live unafraid and unashamed. And the choice is ours. We can in futility continue to attempt to hide ourselves from God or we can confess and repent and receive the forgiveness that will be in Christ if we but ask. What will you do? What will we do? In verses 4 and 5, Jesus lays out the third item on the list, and it's very simply, we must maintain an appropriate fear. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. I love how Matt read this. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The major underlying, we said this last week, the major underlying motivation of our spirit or, or of spiritual hypocrisy is the inappropriate fear of men, worried about what other people think, right? Being afraid of, of their lack of acceptance and even worse, their rejection of us, right? We, we don't want that to happen. We, we want their acceptance. We want their accolades. We want their praise, and so we're tempted, 
or we're tempted to do whatever is necessary to secure the one and, and avoid the other. Do whatever we can to accept the praise and receive the praise and do everything that we can to run and, and uh, do away with the rejection. But here Jesus is even going beyond that and he's adding to uh, this level of fear and he begins talking about the fear that's going to come as they continue to move toward Jerusalem and that the, the mounting persecution that's going to take place as they come face to face with these detractors due to the consequence of following him. And he says, look, don't fear those who only have the ability to make your physical life miserable through scorn and ridicule. Don't even, don't even fear those who can end your life. Rather, fear the one who can not only end your life physically, but has your spiritual life in his hands as well. The only one you should be fearing, he says, is the Lord God. You shouldn't be fearing anyone else because he has, he has the ability to end your life, right? Our lives are in His hands. Our days have been numbered. But He says we also, He also has the ability and the authority to cast us into hell as well. And again, contrary to what many believe today, hell is, is not a figment of our imagination. It's not a rumor. Jesus here he names it, and He describes it very, very clearly. He describes it as a refuse pile of never-ending or perpetual fire. And in doing so, he, he says, you know, God alone rules over the spiritual as well as the physical, and we should be concerned about Him. And the word that He uses there, the, the fear that he's talking about isn't a reverence and an awe kind of fear. It is a frightening and terrified type of fear. It's the same fear that the angels told the shepherds not to have when they showed up in Luke chapter 2. And so the reality is, he's saying when it comes to the one who holds the power of eternal judgment, it's okay to fear and tremble a little bit. We probably ought to tremble and fear a little bit. He says, the Pharisees may be able to make your life miserable and even end it, but God holds your spiritual and physical life in His hands. And we know how profound this was because we know that later on they, they heeded those words. Right? We read in Acts of how things changed for them. In Acts chapter 4, the, the apostles are commanded... Do not teach any more about Jesus. Don't do it. And they're thrown in jail, and then they're brought before uh, the religious establishment again and say, look, you've, you're doing it. And listen to the answer in Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And then Peter, of course, stands, and he says, they all answer, actually, and they say, We must obey God rather than man. 
They go on to say, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Right? They had been given a message. They had been given a message by God to preach the good news of the gospel. And they feared God more than man. And there wasn't anything that was going to keep them from proclaiming that good news. And brothers and sisters, the only question for us here is, who do we fear more? Who do we fear more? Do we fear God? Or do we fear man? But there's a tension here. There's a tension here because And we have to maintain that tension because God is one to be feared, but then not only is there an appropriate fear to be maintained, but Jesus right on the heels of that says that we're to rest in the Father. He's to be feared, but he's to be rested in. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Right? Fear him. Fear not. You're more valuable than any sparrow. Fear is an appropriate response to majesty, holiness, and justice. But rest is is an appropriate response to sovereignty, love, care, and concern. He cares for His creation from the smallest and most insignificant of creatures to those that he's created in his image. Sparrows were small and cheap, and they were used for food for the poor. And the father says, or Jesus says, but the father doesn't even overlook them. The father doesn't overlook them. And Jesus said, if the father doesn't overlook the sparrows, he says to the disciples, you can rest assured. He doesn't overlook you either. If he valued birds sold for pennies and used for food, they could be confident that he cared for them exponentially more. If he had given the time and had taken the time and went to the detail to number every one of the hairs on their head, which by the way on average is about, on average, when we have some well below and some beyond, but on average, and I, I looked at you and I said it, 100,000 average, but anywhere from 90 to 150, depending on the color of your hair, he's numbered every one. And because he's done that, he says, you don't have to be concerned. Right? He knows you Better than he knows. Or he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you intimately. And you should therefore rest. Rather than fear what you do not know, rest. Brothers and sisters, while we are to maintain that appropriate fear due to him holding that our eternal judgment in his hands, we are also, we are also to rest. We were to fear and and tremble at that holiness and righteousness and justice and, and majesty, but we need to remember that He is a Father who has created us. 
And He has not only created us, he, He cares for the sparrows, but He cares exponentially more for us, right? The sparrows could be purchased for a couple of pennies. Brothers and sisters, you and I have been purchased with the imperishable blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shed His blood for us. He laid Himself down for us. He paid the price of our redemption. We've been washed clean of our sins so that He might adopt us as His children. And that, of course, leads us to the fifth item on the list. He says, we must acknowledge Christ. In verse 8, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The Pharisees and the scribes, like all spiritual hypocrites, were, were ultimately resting in themselves for their salvation. We've said this a couple of weeks now, right? They underestimated the extent of their sin and misery and over, uh, overestimated their own power. They, they overestimated their own ability to save themselves. They, the problem in their minds was, was outside of them and, and in, the, the answer was inside when it was just reversed. The problem was their own sin and their only way to, to deal with that sin was through another outside of themselves. They didn't, see, they didn't need to just work harder. They needed their hearts changed and we, we know that, that that heart change only comes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling the disciples here, to if you're going to combat spiritual hypocrisy, if you're going to battle this, you must, for, you must acknowledge me. You must humble yourself and acknowledge me. Admit your sin. Admit your inadequacy. Admit that you need some help. And not only acknowledge that you need help, but that I am the one, I am the only one who can help and save you. Acknowledge that you are dependent upon me. And then he says, if, if you'll do that, if you'll acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you before the Father. If you acknowledge me, I'll, I'll acknowledge you, and I'll be, I'll be your advocate and mediator before the Father, and I'll handle your defense against your accuser, Satan. I will do all of that if you would but acknowledge me. But if you don't acknowledge me, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to stand before, before the Father and the heavenly hosts. I'm not going to do it. And then he says something very important. He says, if... If you even struggle, if you acknowledge me, but in those moments when, when you struggle with doubt, right, when you have those moments of doubt, and even in those moments, if you've acknowledged me, but in those moments when you succumb to the temptation, 
When you succumb to that temptation, and in a moment of weakness, you're unfaithful to me, and you even deny me. If you will repent, you will be forgiven. But, if you continuously, repetitively, if you stubbornly and willfully resist... Resist the Spirit if you continually and willfully and stubbornly deny me. And if you do what those, what those Pharisees were doing and attributing the Spirit's work to Satan, you have no hope. It's a very stern warning. And the question that we must ask is simple. Are we unashamed of our need for a Savior? And are we unashamed to proclaim that that Savior is the one and only Lord Jesus Christ who has been revealed to us in the Scriptures? And that leads perfectly into the last item, which is relying on the Spirit in verses 11 and 12. He knew where they were headed He knew where he was going. He knew where they were headed. He knew what was before them. He knew what the religious establishment was going to do to them. They were going to attempt to force them to become those same type of spiritual hypocrites that they were. And he knew it was going to be difficult. It was going to get really extreme. And he was honest with them. And he said, and when they bring you before the synagogues, right, He didn't try to hide anything about the future. When they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the word. I know it can be, I know you're going to be concerned. I know it's going to be. The anxiety is going to be present because it is going to be intense and extreme, but, but trust in the Spirit. You don't even have to even right now try to think through your argument. Just trust in the Spirit. In the spirit. Persecution is around the, around the corner. They're going to experience that same hostility, but Jesus promises that the Spirit would equip them to answer their accusers. He assures them He's going to grant them the words that they need. And again, of course, we see that throughout the book of Acts. They're martyred, but they give the right answers by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, spiritual hypocrisy is a major issue, and it's one that we should combat. And it's not easy. But it is possible. It is possible. It begins by being vigilant, by being, uh, by not being complacent. And it also requires humility, a willingness to come out of hiding and confess and repent of our sin and live in the light of the forgiveness that's offered to us in Christ. 
And we must fear God more than we fear man because God holds that power of eternal judgment. But we must also at the same time, because of the Lord Jesus and our, and our standing before the Lord and, and our adoption that is ours in Christ, we should rest in His fatherly goodness. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He's not caught off guard by anything that we encounter. And He loves and cares for us despite our sin. And we must never shrink back from acknowledging the Lord Jesus who is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our brother and our friend. He's done everything for us. Through His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, He even now continues on our behalf, interceding for us as our great high priest. He alone saves because He alone can do what we cannot do for ourselves. And in those moments, in those moments of pressure, in those moments of potential doubt, and even in those moments of doubt, in that, in that pressure to shrink back and, and in those moments of temptation, when the pressure is on, may we not deny, but rely upon the Spirit of God. Rely upon the Spirit who will equip us and give us the ability to confidently give a defense for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because I think we can all agree that those moments are going to become more often than they will be fewer and farther between in the days and weeks ahead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.